We're continuing our series that we started last week uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1. Last week we considered the first 12 verses, a very quick summary of those we had last week. And uh, we don't have time to go back over that. But one of the key things in it was the description of this salvation in verse 10. And prior to that, Peter, who was writing this letter to Christians in churches of God that were scattered in northern and central Turkey, as we would now know it. Um, He was addressing them um, for encouragement reasons, that their faith would be strong in an environment where their faith was being tested by those who at this stage, most likely in AD 60 or AD 64, certainly, uh, when Nero comes to the throne, the persecution of Christians uh, starts to get systematic. So he's telling them in advance of that, to be strong in an environment that is tough. And he encourages them at the very beginning with this salvation, and we considered that last week. We're going to continue on now from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. And again, it's a a big section to deal with in the time we have. But let's read it together, and we'll say some things from it that I hope will be an encouragement, also a challenge. And uh, we can go from here with the joy of hearing from the Lord. So 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times, For the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Peter knows that these people to whom he is writing are believers in the Lord Jesus who are gathered together in churches of God. Because he goes on in the next chapter to speak of the truth of the house of God. Seen in Uh, the gathering of churches of God, individuals together forming a local church of God and those churches of God together forming the house of God. But that's next week's topic. He's writing to them and he knows that they have had the word preached to them. And the word of God that's been preached to them is the thing that has brought them to faith. And not only that, to persevere in the faith and in the truth that he speaks of here. That they would be those who would be um, solid in their service. And I'd just like to say again that the letter that Peter writes here, which is a general one, which goes across um, the five Roman provinces that are in Turkey today. Um, He's addressing them 
so that they would be solid in their faith. It's about service. Of course he touches on salvation. And we had that in the earlier part of chapter 1. But he's telling them about their salvation and the greatness of God's salvation for them. So they may be encouraged in their service together in churches of God. That's why in verse 13 he says, therefore. You've heard it said before, when you see a therefore, what's it there for? It's because it's to make you go back up and read what has gone before. Because the person who's writing, and Peter here is writing to these people to encourage them. He's wanting them to see that out of this salvation which he has just described in the previous 12 verses, it's because of that then their lives are to be so distinctively different and glorious. And I use that word glorious um, carefully, but it's referred to in the text um, that our lives are to be a means by which God is glorified. Now we can only do that when God is the centre of our attention. And the things of Christ are very special to us. And the salvation that God has brought us into and is yet going to bring us into because we saw last week that this salvation is yet to be fully consummated in all of its glory. When we have this in view, it then shapes our lives and our service. We're strangers and exiles in the world, just like these people were back in the first century. People today are, are not for God's things. The scriptures tell us in other places that um, people love darkness rather than the light. So we in, in whom God has shone his light to show us his glory and to show us Christ as saviour. God has intervened to bring us to himself and he will do that with others. He will. But we are those who have received from God this salvation. And we have to live in an environment where other people are, are against it. They're against God. That's what it means to be a sinner against God. So the encouragement here for us is to live in light of the salvation that we have an understanding of from the earlier part of chapter 1 to then live it out in the way that our lives are conditioned, the way our lives are seen by each other in our service, but also by the people that we interact with every day. Therefore, and then he goes on to mention six aspects Six aspects that I'd just like to touch on very quickly as characteristics and lifestyle attitudes that should characterize the lives of people who are pursuing the things of God, who have his salvation as the backdrop and the surround of all their lives, and they want to live for his glory in service and churches of God, in the house of God today. The first thing that's mentioned here, prepare your minds for action. The older versions, English translations say, gird up the loins of your mind, which is actually the sense of the Greek in there. A Roman soldier, and they would have well-known Roman soldiers in this time. They would have had a long flowing uh, garment, but when they're in a state of readiness, it was tucked up and tied up with the belt. It takes you back to Ephesians 6 and the uh, the armour of God, the belt of truth and so on. There's that imagery there that Paul uses. But here Peter is employing the same metaphor. And he says, you have this hitched up. And you have it tied up. And your legs are freed. If we're continuing the metaphor here. You, you're ready to either go forward or to run for your life. Think about it. Those are two options. 
prepare your minds for action. I was thinking on it yesterday. It's not speaking about inactivity here or aimless activity. Peter is encouraging uh, believers in churches of God to always be in a state of preparedness. And that in their minds. And that goes back to the earlier section of chapter 1. Have the things of this salvation of God in your mind so that you are prepared for action. And you can see a circumstance that comes and you rush forward into the moment to serve God and to glorify him in the moment. Or else, and Peter touches on it later in his letter, there is coming after you something of the adversary, which means you have to run for your life. You go. You be ready to do either. Uh, we prefer the former, don't we? We like to talk more positively. And prepare your minds for action and think about it in a positive way. But a soldier would have to run for his life on occasions. And here we are in the knowledge of what God has given to us in Christ Jesus, in this salvation and the security of it. There are still times though in this life when we need to run from the things that the adversary would bring to us in our experience. Prepare your minds for action. It's a thoughtful mindset that's in a state of constant readiness to either run forward or flee to safety. There's no shame in fleeing to safety away from the adversary who's strong and goes about like a roaring lion, as Peter describes him. So that the robes are tied up. It's in your mind. The things of God are occupying your thinking and you're ready for fight or flight. The second thing is be sober. You're not much use if you're drunk. It's not a criticism, but that's a fact. When people are, are drunk, they're out of control. And it's a sad feature of our world that people today will pursue the things of drink. Some of them systematically, and it has ruined their lives. Other people will do it uh, maybe on a weekly basis. They will go, and the talk is, and I've been in environments like it where... Um, there is this attraction at the end of the week or the weekend to go and get drunk. It's a form of escapism, isn't it? It's trying to get out of the realities of this life for a moment to have an uncontrolled situation that you bring on yourself where the cares of this life are forgotten about for a period of time and then you wake up again and the life is carrying on just as it was before. And from what I told, you feel ill and you have a headache. And you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. You know, Peter is telling us here, as guided by the Spirit of God, that as Christians, we're to be sober. And spirit is not really there in the, the Greek text, but we're to be sober if we just stick with that. We're to be people who are in control of our faculties, of our minds. Not people who are seeking escapism from the realities of this life. If that's what drunkenness is, Peter is saying, don't go there. Paul said the same thing. Don't be drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. And that's why, and I go this far, that repeated drunkenness in the life of a believer in the churches of God would result in excommunication if that behavior was not to stop. Because it shows a lack of reliance on the great God of heaven to provide all that is needed in the difficulties of life. We're not about escapism ourselves because God has brought us into the freedom of his grace. Have this in your mind and don't 
be drunk. Instead, be sober. We're to be people who know the realities of this life and rely on God to provide all that's needed in every circumstance, even when the toughest of circumstances would come upon us. A believer will find himself or herself often relying most on God in the darkest of those times rather than pursuing things that would be a form of escapism. The third thing out of the six is, he says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How does that shape your character? The first thing is prepare your minds for actions. You're always ready. There's, there's a person that you can just tell is ready to move. Someone who's sober, always in control, not, not seeking to escape the things of this life, but recognizing God's provision in every moment of it. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is knowing God's grace already and knowing through our lives the faithful God of all grace who has provided for us in every circumstance thus far in our lives. We're told here that there's yet more grace to come. And we know that for the remainder of our lives. We will. God is gracious. He gives and he gives and he gives. But there's going to be a moment at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ. When grace is suddenly going to be absolutely amazing. Because Christ, his revelation I believe is when he will come for his church. And it says he comes to the air and calls to himself the church, the body of Christ. The rapture as we would know it. There's going to be this overwhelming understanding of what this grace is all about. We have a, a measure of an understanding of God's grace now. Because we live in it and we're saved by it. Sinners saved by grace, yes. But there is this grace that is yet to be revealed to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because in him is God's grace to us. And Peter says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. It's coming. And it's going to be remarkably wonderful. And with that sort of a hope, then your life is shaped. Because you know that God is for you in absolutely everything. The Greek in this, um, as the New American Standard Bible translates it here, fix your hope. Fix and hope are actually the same word. It's having this excited anticipation. So it's, it's a double hope or doubly hopeful. Hope, hope, excitedly in the grace that is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's going to be brought to us. Oh, the grace of God. It's wonderful, isn't it? The fourth um, encouragement here from Peter is, he says, as obedient children. I love this because when you spend time and slow down in, in the text, you realize he's still pursuing the theme that he began back in uh, 1 verse 3 where it says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused us to be born again to a living hope he's pursuing that he says look you've been born again you are the product of God's special choice to be born again and brought into his family and you can now refer to him as father and he says as obedient children as obedient children I'm going to stop with that I wanted to go on but the next point I think is separate this is about obedience to the Father. And who models that perfectly for us? Of course it's Christ. The perfect Son. For whom the Father from the glory said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So our example, of course, in all of this is the person 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his humanity we have this understanding of what glorifies and delights the heart of God. As obedient children, the privilege of being in the family of God and saying that our Father is our Father, God is our Father, we're to obey the perfect Father and enjoy the richest of blessings as a result. It's good when children obey their father. We had a little moment last night, didn't we, Kevin, where they didn't want to go to bed. But the time comes when they have to obey and uh, the threat of discipline and so on may, may come in. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but, but God is, is looking to his children for this loving obedience as obedient children because you've been born again and your father is so good and so wonderful and gracious pursue the things that he says are for your good because God is always for our good what does he say as obedient children do not be conformed this is my uh, what I think is Peter's fifth point do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance do not conform do not conform to what to what you would have been before or what you know you were before I was talking with Nath recently on this one for some of us we came to a simple saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ at an age at which we were preserved and saved I think from an older period of life when sin could have been a very hideous thing in our lives I thank God for it some of us I know have come to faith much later and the difference when the grace of God comes in to save from that circumstance. All of us, if we're honest with our own hearts before God, even those who have been saved by his grace at a young age, know the twisted nature of our own hearts even now. And what we could have been and would have been had it not been for the grace of God. So when he says here, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. He's probably speaking to, to adult people. Who had lived a life of pagan idolatry and all that went with that and um, sexual licentiousness and, and everything associated with just that was just the word at that time he says you pursued that for joy and ignorance but then this salvation of God has come so do not be conformed to that again I want to go into Peter or into Paul who says don't be conformed but be transformed well let's stick with Peter on this he says don't be conformed to your former lusts. He says they're former lusts. But we know, don't we, that the former lusts remain lusts that are ever present. And those are the things that the adversary, the devil, will prey on. And we need to appeal to God in his grace for this help. The preparedness of mind to run if the moment comes. So that we will not be conformed to the things that this world says are acceptable and tolerable. Instead, we are distinctive. In our service for Christ. And the sixth point. But like the Holy One who called you. Be holy in all your behaviour. Be holy. Be holy. And then instantly I wonder whether we think holy means pure and righteous. Which is an aspect of the word. But really you know holiness. Speaks of something that is set apart. Or someone who is set apart. God is holy because he is so infinitely far removed. From everything that he has made. That he is set apart. That's the sense of the strength of the word here. Be holy. You be set apart. Set apart to the one who has brought this salvation to you. Have these characteristics and these life-shaping mind attitudes and, 
and choices that you will make. Be holy, for I am holy. Now, Peter then picks up um, something from the Old Testament where it was said to the nation of Israel, Be holy, for I am holy. It was spoken to a people. He speaks the same thing to the people of God today in churches of God. Be holy, for I am holy. But you know that holiness begins and begins with the individual. And that's why we have to take care in churches of God to honour the, the demands of a holy God. That we would deal with things that would spoil that which is set apart for the glory of God and to enjoy the things of God. So we're to be holy. It's this thought of being set apart to the things of God distinctively in a word that is set against his things, not being conformed. So what are the six? Just in order again. I need to be quick here. Be prepared. Be sober. Fix your hope. Double fixing. Double hopefulness. Be obedient. Do not be conformed and be holy. And then we're told that um, Peter says, your father, he sees your lives in your service and he will judge you for reward. I believe that's the judgment seat of Christ that's referenced there. And in light of this, knowing that our father is looking on at every moment, then we live a life that gives him joy and pleasure and has this impact in the world around us and in our local churches and our service, of course. Our conduct is to match our calling. We're to be people who distinctively are the people of God. And it's during our stay on earth, which I think is an insertion just to try and give sense to the understanding. This is why we have this life now as we anticipate the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we have no time to spend on this latter section. In summary, he says, we have been saved. Peter does. We have been saved from a futile and empty life that we've inherited from generation to generation that would pursue the things that are precious in the world, silver and gold, as it would have been in those days. Those perishable things that are passing away. We have been saved from a life like that, that is empty, to a life that has been redeemed, which means to be bought with a price and brought into the freedom We've been brought into the freedom of God's service by the eternally precious blood of Christ. You know the blood of Christ speaks of his sacrifice given and here we, we come to Christ again where we must always come. He's the example in those six aspects of the life that is lived for God. He's our perfect example in that. But here we're told that the sacrifice of Christ, his blood shed for us, that which cleanses us, that which, by which God is able to forgive us, that that is the means by which we live. And he, the perfect one, gave himself that we might live this life. Notice that it says then in verses 20 and 21, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in the last days for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. Christ gave himself, gave his life, shed his blood to bring us out of the futility of the life that is accepted in the word into the freedom of the life of service that begins now and will go on into eternity among a people that are precious to God. He brings us into that and God knew all about this from before the creation of the world. I labour the point here on the, the matter of foreknown. The New American Standard sticks with that word. It's the same word that's there earlier. Remember last week if you were listening 
I spoke about foreknown. It doesn't just mean merely knowing something in advance. It means a particular uh, choosing uh, that you would set your intimate love and develop a special relationship with someone. The NIV, I think, in its most recent translation, the 2011 version, says um, he was chosen before the foundation of the world. So you can see they've taken the word and they've gone with chosen. It's this thought that from all eternity, God has had us in view in Christ Jesus. An intimate, purposeful love that he would work out in Christ. And he has appeared in these last days for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. And I need to finish up now. It's only through Christ today that we are believers in God. There are people who will say, I believe in God. And you ask them, what about Jesus Christ? Oh, he was a good man. They're not believers in God in the sense that Peter says here, we are truly believers in God. Redeemed, set free into a life of service with all of the blessings that that brings. Someone who makes that statement is not a saved person. They don't know this salvation because it's through Christ. The one who said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through him alone do we come to believe in God. This is God's doing. He's known this from the beginning. And in the fullness of the time, he sent forth his son. And today, people must respond to the son, Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life on the cross. That they may be redeemed from a life of sin and brought into a life of service. It's through him that we are believers in God. And where is it to be worked out? You're going to have to look at this yourselves. Verse 22, 23. Peter there speaks of loving one another. You know, Jesus, uh, in his command in John 13 and 34 to his disciples said, love one another, because by this people will know that you're my disciples. It was a command, a new command of Jesus. And that would be between believers who were gathered together in service for God. So all of this, in terms of the personal challenge that comes to us about how we should live in light of this salvation, is so that it might be lived out in an environment where people are together in service in churches of God. Because that's what we see in the New Testament. Where the love for one another flows. Because our souls have been purified for service. And we do it because that's what Christ has secured us for. Now that's the springboard into chapter 2. You know that chapter divisions are a false thing that were introduced to help us navigate the Bible. So this would have been one long train of thought with paragraphs building and building and building. But here we've got a springboard into chapter 2. For next week as we think about what it means. To serve together in the house of God, bringing glory to God. In all of this, don't miss that our salvation, our being born again, was through the living and abiding word of God. If we think we can navigate this life of service and understand this salvation that we're referring to without being in the word of God, we're badly mistaken. The word of God is living. It's active, Paul, not Paul, we don't know who it was uh, in Hebrews. It's living, it's active. Peter says it's living and it's enduring. The word of God stands forever. Let's be in it. That we'll be shaped by it for God's glory. Let's pray.